Good morning, church. Well, before I jump in, I just wanted to say how much I appreciate our guys and gals that help out in the sound booth. You know, you never notice them until something goes wrong, right? And a couple of our guys are out of town, and um, we're thankful for them, and we're thankful for Doug and Jeff holding down the fort in their stead. So thank you, guys. Um, Well, go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. We're going to take a break today from our normal study in Romans, and we're going to do a special uh, Christmas-themed message looking at the life of Rachel. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 29. And before we get there, a little bit of background um, as we pick up this story. And there will be a few slides up ahead for you guys to kind of get your mind wrapped around what we're talking about. So we're going to look at the highlights and lowlights of the life of Rachel in the book of Genesis. Uh, Rachel was married to Jacob. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Now, God eventually changes Jacob's name to Israel. And so Israel, Jacob are interchangeable, same, same person. And Jacob's 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. You can hit that next slide. There you go. Now, yes, this family puts the fun in dysfunctional. We'll talk about more about that later. Now, we pick up this story in Genesis 29, where Jacob first declares his desire to marry Rachel. At this point, Jacob is working for his uncle Laban, and he's working with the sheep and the goats and shepherding and caring for them for his uncle Laban. And now we're going to pick up this story in Genesis chapter 29, in verses 15 through 20. We read about Jacob's love for Rachel. Genesis 29, starting in verse 15. It says, Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now, it's unclear what Scripture exactly means when it says that Leah's eyes were delicate, but the context is very clear that Rachel was the more beautiful of the two sisters. Look at verse 18. It says, Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Now, back in this day, in order to get married, you had to pay a dowry. It was a payment, usually, of some form, and it basically told the, the family, hey, I'll be able to take care of your daughter. I'll be able to provide for her. And it also kind of paid that family for them losing one of their family members as she left and went to her new husband's family. And so Jacob, although he came from a wealthy family, he didn't have any money with him because if you know the story, he kind of skedaddled out of town real fast when he got his brother real mad at him. And so he doesn't have anything with him, but he says, I'll serve you seven years if I can marry your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, a typical dowry of service was maybe one to two years long. And so the fact that Jacob offered seven years of service shows two things. First, it shows how much he loved Rachel. 
And second, it shows that Jacob did not want Laban to refuse his offer. And so let's look at how Laban responds in verse 19. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. And so Laban sounds pretty casual about it. He says, well, I might as well. You know, you're in the family, right? And so I'll, I'll, let's, let's make a deal. But surely on the inside, Laban's elated to get so many years of free service out of Jacob for his younger daughter. And so, um, verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. Oh, Right? That's the lady's favorite verse in the Bible right there. That's pretty romantic. Rachel would have felt so special when she discovered that Jacob offered seven years of service just for her hand in marriage. Now we continue in verses 21 through 30. We read how Laban tricks Jacob. And so verse 21, it's been seven years. And then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. So it's finally time for the wedding, and Jacob is ready to receive this wife he's worked so long and hard for. And verse 22, And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Jacob, sorry, and Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So Laban gave Leah instead of Rachel to Jacob on his wedding night. He pulled the old switcheroo. Now, in this culture, the bride would have been heavily veiled, and there's no electricity. It's pretty dark at night. And so we don't have the details of, you know, really? You didn't know? We don't, we don't know all the details of how this happened. But Laban was successful in duping Jacob. And so Jacob didn't know anything was different until the morning. Verse 25. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, Well, it, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. I thought you knew, you know. Everybody knows that, Jacob, right? No, Laban was just plain old deceitful. Laban knew that Jacob would never have served seven years for Leah, but by tricking Jacob, Laban gets an incredible dowry for Leah, and it's just an awful situation for everybody except for Laban, who only cares for himself. And so after all this, Laban responds to Jacob, and he says in verse 27, Fulfill her week. And we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. We get the idea that Laban's been planning this for a long time. He had it worked in his mind. And so now he says, let's do this. I'll get both my daughters married and I'll get 14 years of free labor from this guy. This is going to be great. And so now he says, I'll give you Rachel also, but you're going to work another seven years. And so Jacob, they celebrate the wedding with Leah for another week, and then he's given Rachel as a wife as well. And so look at verse 28. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. 
So he gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went in to Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. So now Jacob has two wives, but he loved Rachel more than Leah. In the next few verses, Leah bears four sons for Jacob. And you can see him up there on the family tree. Obviously, this is encompassing several years here. And now, several years later, we skip down to Genesis chapter 30, in verses 1 through 3, where we read how Rachel bears children. Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. Now, admittedly, Rachel was through, going through a pretty tough situation. Although she was loved by her husband, she felt incapable. She felt like a failure because she was unable to bear children, even though it wasn't her fault, it wasn't her choice. And to make matters worse, she has to share her husband with her sister, her sister who has successfully given him four sons. And so Rachel's cry of frustration and anguish, it reveals her heart. Give me children or else I die. You see, Rachel was finding her identity in being Jacob's wife. And since she couldn't be the wife that she wanted to be, she wanted to die. She didn't want to live anymore. And I want us to stop and kind of look at this question in our own lives of how would you fill in the blank? Give me blank or else I die. There's no filling up here for you because I really want us to think about this individually of what is it that I would really, really want? What is it that I crave in this life? Because the answer to that question could reveal potential idolatry or temptations of idolatry in our own hearts. And here's a follow-up question, our next fill-in-the-blank if you're taking notes today. What is my identity in? What is my identity in? in. If we had to describe who we are or who we want to be, what would it be? What would we say? Now, we're going to come back to this point later, but for now, for Rachel, she wanted to be a successful wife and mother. And so let's read on and see her attempt to fulfill that dream of hers. Genesis chapter 30, verse 1 again. It says, now when Rachel, saw that she bore ch- when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So Jacob recognizes, look, I can't do anything different. God is the one who can change this, not me. And so, verse 3, So she said, Here is my maid, Bilhah. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. So Rachel's so desperate to have children, so desperate to be the wife that she can't be for Jacob, that she takes her, her maid, her servant, and she says, She's going to be my surrogate. Okay? She's going to bear sons in my name. 
so that I can successfully give you sons. And she will succeed. Rachel will get two sons through her servant, Bilhah. Now, when Leah sees this, Leah's got four sons of her own, but she stopped bearing children, and she sees Bilhah have two. Well, now she says, okay, here's my servant, Zilpah. Take her and bear some, some more sons on my, on my behalf. And so through Zilpah, two more sons are born. Just a crazy, dysfunctional, awful mess. Now after all this, Leah bears Jacob two additional sons for a total of six sons from Leah plus one daughter. At this point, Jacob now has 11 children, 10 sons and one daughter. Rachel has still been unable to give him any children from her own womb. And now we pick up the story in verses 22 through 24 where Rachel bears a son. Genesis chapter 30, verse 22. It says, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. And so she called his name Joseph, and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. The name Joseph means he will add. You see, it seems that with the birth of Rachel's first son, she wasn't satisfied. She finally has a son of her own, and yet he wasn't enough. She's already hoping for more. And so she names him, he will add. Now, it was about this time that God began to bless Jacob in abundance. Jacob and Laban had worked out a deal. He's finished his 14 years of free labor for his two wives. And now he's going to continue to work for Laban. And they work out a deal where the spotted and speckled will be Jacob's sheep or goats. And the the non-spotted and speckled will be Laban's. And they work out this deal. And God blesses Jacob. And so no matter what color animal belongs to Jacob, Laban keeps changing it trying to make sure he doesn't get missing out on this deal. And God begins to give all of the wealth of Laban to Jacob. And Jacob's flocks are just growing in number and number. And Laban gets nervous and he starts changing his wages. Okay, well now only the spotted ones are yours and only the spotted ones would be born. And Laban would say, okay, only the pure ones are yours now and only the pure ones would be born. And so God was giving Jacob all of this wealth. And it was about this time that as a result, Jacob and his uncle Laban, they part ways. Jacob takes his two wives, Rachel and Leah, their maidservants, the eleven sons, the one daughter, his servants, and the multitude of animals, and they travel back to Bethel, back to Jacob's old stomping grounds from where he grew up. Now we fast forward a few chapters. We're going to skip over to Genesis chapter 35 now. They'll be up on the screen too. But Genesis 35 and verses 16 through 20, we read how Rachel dies. Genesis 35, starting in verse 16. It says, Then they journeyed from Bethel. And when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth 
and she had a hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Onai, but his father called him Benjamin. Rachel named her son, her second son, Ben-Onai, which means son of my sorrow. But Jacob renames him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. As we look at Rachel's life, we can see many of her sufferings. As her wedding night was ruined by her selfish father, as she struggled with envy as her sister bore so many children while she was unable to bear any, and here as she's bearing her second son, she labors in hard labor and she dies in childbirth. And yet, looking at Rachel's life, we can also see many of the earthly blessings which she enjoyed. Here's the first one. Rachel was beautiful. Rachel was beautiful. You see, between Rachel and her sister Leah, Rachel was the more beautiful of the two, and she was the one of whom Jacob said, I will work seven years for free just so I can marry her, much longer than a normal dowry of that day. And yet, because of Laban's treachery, Jacob actually worked 14 years just to marry Rachel. 14 years without pay, just so he could have her hand in marriage. That's an expensive lady right there. That's a lot of labor. And so now, here's Rachel's next earthly blessing. Rachel was loved. Rachel was loved. You see, although Rachel had to share her husband with her sister, Rachel was the one whom Jacob loved. Even though Rachel could not bear any children for many years, Jacob still loved her and favored her over her sister. And then, when God took all of the wealth of Laban and gave it to Jacob through the the flocks of animals, Rachel became rich. Never to be short on finances or short on servants or any other provision. She lived the wealthy life. And yet, Rachel wasn't happy with beauty and love and riches. She cries out in frustration in Genesis 30, verse 1, Give me children, or else I die. And yet, even when Rachel was given a son, it wasn't enough. We read in verse 22, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And so she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Can you imagine how Joseph felt growing up when he had to meet somebody? Hey man, what, what's your name? Joseph? Your, your name is He Will Add? That's your name? Yeah, when I was born, my mom wasn't happy with me. She wanted more. I wasn't good enough. She wasn't satisfied with just me. That's a tough name to bear. Now, if your name is Joseph, I'm sure your mom didn't feel the same way. Probably. But for Rachel, she finally had a son, but she's not satisfied. She still wants more. And here's the crazy thing. God gave her what she wanted. God gave her another son. God gave Rachel what she desired most, 
but it killed her. Now, I want to be clear. I am not saying that God killed Rachel. I am not saying that God judged or punished Rachel because she wasn't satisfied and because she asked for more. The Bible simply says that she had a hard labor and she died in childbirth. It's simply the result of living in a fallen, broken world. This world is not our home. But summarizing Rachel's life, we might say that Rachel was beautiful, loved, wealthy, and a mother of two. But she wasn't satisfied. She wasn't satisfied. You see, Rachel's last word was Ben-Onai, which means son of my sorrow. In many ways, Rachel had everything, and yet she felt empty. She reminds us of King Solomon, who also had everything, and yet also felt empty. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 10, he says, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on all the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Solomon did not withhold any pleasure from his heart. Just buffet after buffet of whatever he craved and wanted. Solomon believed that he deserved it. After all, I've worked hard. I've put in my time. And yet at the end, he felt empty, unfulfilled, and unsatisfied. You see, when we seek temporary things like pleasure or wealth or love, our hearts are usually only satisfied temporarily. If you're anything like me and my sinful heart, once you have, you just want more. You see, our greatest need and deepest desire is to know God. To know God. Only a relationship with God can satisfy our deepest longings. The psalmist recognized this when he expressed in Psalm 84, verse 2. He says, My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. He knew that deep down that's what he craved and needed most. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, Starting in verse 19, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And it says in verse 19, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, 
including the new bodies he has promised us. So Paul explains that all creation, including you and me, we were all subjected to God's curse, the curse of the fall. Genesis chapter 3. This world, our bodies, our sin nature, all of it is a result of the brokenness of the fall. But Paul says that God uses that suffering, the brokenness under the curse, to make us more hopeful for eternity. Hopeful for when God will set us free from sin and suffering. Hopeful for when God will bring us into heaven and give us new eternal bodies that won't get sick or won't break down or won't get hurt. We might put it this way. God created us to feel empty, desiring more, so that we might find our satisfaction in Him. God created us to feel empty. You know, we can chase after the things of this world and, and they can distract us. They can, they can keep us um, busy for a while, but it's not lasting because God created us to have a relationship with Himself. And so as Rachel labored in childbirth on her way to Ephrath, as she sought to be fulfilled through earthly things, it was over 1,500 years later that another woman journeyed on her way to Ephrath, also pregnant with a son, as God's answer to ultimately fulfill our heart's desire. You see, Ephrath was the ancient name for the city of Bethlehem, where Jesus was born in a manger, born for one purpose, to pay for our sin on the cross and therefore provide us access to heaven. The only way that we could ever truly be satisfied is through a personal relationship with Jesus, our Creator, our Lord and our Savior. Jesus offered to satisfy this need that we all have in John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus said, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Notice that Jesus offers to give this to everyone, saying, if anyone thirsts. But you see, we have to first recognize that we're thirsting. We have to recognize our need. We can drink of this world, but it's only temporary. It won't last. But if we come to Jesus and we drink of Him by trusting in Him, then we shall find satisfaction. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Do you have this abundant life that Jesus speaks of? See, now we have an answer to where our identity is found. Your next fill in the blank. Our ideal identity is this. A sinner saved by grace. That's our ideal identity. Simply a sinner saved by grace. Because that identity rests in God's work, not in our own work. That identity we don't have to live up to. That identity we don't have to maintain it. We simply rest in it. Lord, I am a sinner, but you've saved me by your work on the cross. And so, are you content 
in who Jesus is and what he has done for you? Or are you like Rachel, putting your hopes in worldly, temporary things? A worldly hope will always end in sorrow, just as Rachel's life ended in sorrow. You see, this Christmas, I want us to celebrate the ultimate gift that God has given us, the gift of Emmanuel, the gift of Jesus, God with us, the fact that He wants a relationship with each of you personally. In fact, you wanted that relationship so bad that even while we were still sinners, before we changed our heart, before we changed our life, before we changed our sin, He came and He died for us to show His love and to show His desire to be in relationship with us. That's amazing. Now, we read of this future promise in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 where it says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. You see, that's the greatest part about heaven, is God with us, dwelling with us. It's what we were created for. It's what was lost in the Garden of Eden. It's the reason Jesus was born as a baby, the reason He died on the cross, the reason He rose from the grave, all so that He could be with us and we could be called His people forever and ever. Now the purpose of this message is not be thankful, don't be greedy. That's a good message, but it still falls short. Nor am I saying that believing in Jesus will make all your problems go away and you'll feel happy all the time. That's not what I'm saying. That's the prosperity gospel. That's not the real gospel. I am saying that believing in Jesus will get you to heaven, so that in heaven, all your problems will go away, and you'll feel happy all the time. That's where our hope is. It's in heaven. God blesses us with good things in this life, but they're temporary They don't last. And that's not where our hope lies. Jesus gives us our deepest craving, which is Himself. Jesus gives us Himself. I like how the author, Randy Alcorn, puts it. I'm going to quote from him, and you can read it on the screen. He says, Nothing is more often misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. We think that what we want is sex, drugs, alcohol, a new job, a raise, a doctorate, a spouse, a large screen television, a new car, a cabin in the woods, or a condo in Hawaii. What we really want is the person we were made for, Jesus, and the place we were made for, heaven. Nothing less can satisfy us. Now, I admit I'm not there yet. I admit that I still struggle sometimes. Sometimes I find myself still chasing after earthly things because I just want them, okay? Because I'm a sinner. And yet I look at the life of Rachel and I'm reminded, even if I had it, it wouldn't be enough. 
whatever that thing is that I so desperately want. And so I want us to close with this psalm, and I want it to be our prayer, personally, from you to the Lord. In Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Would you make that your prayer today with me? As we look at our life and we look at our God and we say, Lord, I just need you and I want you. And I ask that you would put more of that desire in my heart so that I desire you more. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you desire a relationship with us. And God, we look at this psalm and we say, Lord, I want that. God, I I ask and we all just invite your Holy Spirit to continue to change our hearts so that we desire you more, so that we desire more of your word, so that we desire more time and just praise and worshiping you for all that you have done. God, we pray that you would give us more of a hunger and a thirst for you. God, we thank you that you've given us your word, that you've given us access to reading scripture. And God, we thank you that through your son Jesus on the cross, you give every single person access to talking with you, praying with you. We don't need to go through a mediator. You're our mediator. God, we thank you that even though this life is temporary and short, you still let us enjoy so many good things. But Lord, we ask that you would protect our hearts from letting those good things become the only thing that we focus on. God, help us to keep our eyes fixed on heaven. God, may that be our ultimate hope. And God, may you just make us, your church, more and more like you until that day where we are standing before you face to face and we get to simply be your people and you're going to dwell with us forever and ever. Lord, as we close, if there's anybody who has not yet trusted in you, they've been trying to pursue after this world, trying to satisfy the longings of their heart, God, I pray today that they would look to you and say, Lord, I am a sinner. All I deserve is judgment. But God, you've offered eternal life for me because you've paid for my life on the cross. And so, Lord, I trust in you as my Lord and my Savior. And I begin that relationship with you today. God, we thank you that you give that invitation to any and everybody. Lord, glorify your name today. And Lord, may we worship you from our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord together.
before you go, if we can pray for you in any way, we'd love to do so. Come, come forward, we'd love to pray with you. Also, on your way out on the left, there's a table with a couple clipboards for life group signups. Um, there's only two groups that have room in them. And the reason we limit the group size is because the whole purpose of a life group is to build relationships with other people. And so it's the best way to get connected here at Open Gate. It's an amazing way to grow in your walk with the Lord. So I encourage you to, to check out those groups. And if those groups don't work for you, I've got a third clipboard. Just let us know that you're interested, but those nights don't work. Let us know what night does work. We'd love to get a new group for you. Um, on your way out, Wish somebody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thanks so much for being here. God bless.